Uh, and so I am, I, I have to be honest with you, I, I, you know, we are happy. We are thrilled to be in California. And people keep on warning us and saying, you know, uh, how, how are you doing with the culture of California? And I said, man, I love it. I love it. And so uh, we're just fine with California, and uh, we're fine with this congregation. We're excited. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we've been through some challenging times. In fact, the title of my message this morning really is the beginning of a, a series, a short series of messages. And the title is Transition Opportunity. And I want to invite you to let that just settle in for a little bit, you know, for the next few weeks. Transition Opportunity, And we're going to Deuteronomy today, Deuteronomy chapter 34, looking at verses 1 through 9, and we're going to read through that together in just a moment. But the fact is that we all face transition in life. I mean, uh, changes happen, whether it's a, a job change or a relocation, or maybe it's possible that it's a new chapter in life that we're talking about. You know, for some of us, maybe our children have grown up and they've moved out. And so you're going through that huge transition where you now have an empty nest. For some of us, it might be maybe in the next services, we have all the college kids sitting right here. Some of them are seniors, and they've been in school for four years or for some five and six years, whatever. So, so, and, and they're getting ready to, to move out of that college atmosphere and move into a work atmosphere or maybe start a family. And so the fact is, you know, the reality is that we all go through changes, we go through transitions in life, and it is no different for a church. And uh, that's, that's your life. You're dealing with the transition, the changes that churches face all the time. And it's no different for a church. In fact, psychologists say that, that a transition is defined as the ending of something, and we need to get that. It is the ending of something. This is what transition is. It is the ending of something, but it's also the beginning of something. It's the beginning of something. And we can respond in two ways in regards to transition or change when it happens in life. And, of course, the first response is anger or rejection. And, in fact, with that, we go through different stages like that of mourning. And in, in, in that experience, of course, there's a lot of frustration, and we could respond that way. Or the second response is that we understand that maybe God is doing something new. <laughs> and I understand that just because something is new does not mean that it is good. But when there is change, there, there, is, there is opportunity. There is, there is a learning process that begins to take place as we, we learn about what's going on around us and we're absorbing all of that change and all that transition that begins to affect our lives. And, and it's very possible that God is trying to do something in the experience that we are calling transition or change. In fact, we go to the Bible, and the Bible gives us several examples of transitional circumstances that may help. And so we'll look at a different, a different text each Sunday in the next few Sundays. But today we go to Deuteronomy chapter 34 and looking at verses 1 through 9. And, and this, is, this example is really the opposite of the beginning of something that is new. I mean, it was not the beginning of Moses' ministry. It's the very end of his ministry. And the reason why I come to this text is because a huge transition is about to take place in the life of God's people called the Israelites. And I believe there's something that we can glean from this, some things that we can learn about transition 
when we look at God's people. In fact, go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, and I trust that you brought the word with you this morning. Why? Because the word is a serious thing. Amen. The word of God is a serious thing. Say that with me out loud. The word of God is a serious thing. And so we go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Just listen to the word as I read it for you this morning. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea. The Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your ascendants, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. And it's interesting that we have that phrase there, I mean that sentence, because it seems like that when there is transition or changes are happening, even though we say, well, it's a good change, I'm growing up, you know, I'm moving out, or there's a new chapter in life, maybe we're turning a page that even in the process of experiencing what seemingly would be a good experience, sometimes there is some mourning that has to happen and there's some weeping that follows. And I do not believe it is an accident that we have that phrase here in this passage today because we have a God that is an intimate God we have a God that is personal and we have a God that cares about what you're going through in life right now and then we pick up there in verse 9 now Joshua son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him so the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses precious father in heaven I thank you for the word today I thank you, Father, for the power of circumstances. Because in the midst of those circumstances that you are sovereign. And that means, Lord, that you know exactly what's going on. You know exactly what we're experiencing and what we're processing. And so, Lord, it's not a mystery to you. We understand that. But a lot of it is a mystery to us. And so I pray, Father, that you would... Be patient with us. I pray, Father, that you would bring us revelation, that we'd understand the word as the word comes alive to us. And I guess what's exciting about the word, Father, is that it is, it is not something that is, has been, but it is something that is, is current and relevant. It's something that is real. And so, Father, we come to the word today, and we are just sitting in anticipation, waiting to hear what it is that you have to say. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you'll be glorified in it, you'll be lifted up as we lift the word up today. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name, and all God's people said, Amen. Now, I, I think it's important that we remember that a very long journey had come to an end. I mean, we're talking about the life of Moses. 
And we think about the life of Moses, man, you have to pack a lot into that because there's a lot of history. And you remember, of course, the, the exile and, of course, the, the release of their, their, their Egyptian captivity and then the wandering in the deserts and all of that. And so the journey, a very long journey, was coming to an end. But with that long journey, there was something that the people were a recipient of. And some would say maybe it's just history, but I say it is a fresh perspective in life. Because of what we've been through and the experiences, they make us more prepared. I was getting ready to move from Florida to California and my senior adult pastor, he came up to me and he was, he's a very wise man. He came up to me and he laid his hand upon my shoulder and he said, Pastor, I want you to know you're more prepared than you've ever been before in life. And I kind of, you know, meditated on that for a little bit. And you see, I was having some anxiety and I needed peace. And it's like the Lord laid his hand upon my shoulder when that senior adult pastor said, you know, pastor, you're more prepared than you've ever been before for life. And I can imagine God's hand laying his hand upon your shoulder this morning as a congregation and on our congregational shoulder that the Lord is saying, congregation, you're more prepared than you've ever been before. Because we know without a doubt that the end of a journey, it marks the beginning of something that is new. It's like the journey of vacation. I love going on vacation. And the exciting thing about vacation is when we go away, we get refreshed and we get renewed. It's like a, a mountain river washing over us and making us clean and waking us up. And I love coming home from vacation because I am rested and I'm ready to take the bull by the horns. Amen. Maybe for some of you, you want to stay on vacation. I don't know. But the fact is, I, I am refreshed when I come back from vacation and there is a new perspective in life. And, and we see in the life of the Israelites that maybe this was what they were getting ready for. It was the end of Moses' ministry, yes. But we recognize that maybe God was getting ready to do something new. And so maybe the question is, what is your part or what is our part as a believer, as a Christian and a part of the kingdom of God what is our part? And so I want to ask you that question this morning, super Christian. Can I call you that, super Christian? What, what is your part? When the church is going through transition, well, the passage gives us some hints here. I, I believe some, some things to understand if we look at the word. And the first thing that I want to share with you this morning is that we are, this is our part, we are to realize that something is about to happen. And the Lord reminds Moses of the promise that was given in Scripture. And, of course, it was the vision of those that had come before him. It was the vision that there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that there would be these generations that would follow, and they'd be God's people, and that God was anointing those people, and that there is, there is this vision that was afoot. And, and the fact is there's no difference between that scenario and this scenario because there are people that came before us. There are people whose shoulders that we are standing on. There are pastors that have been here in past decades. And there are all these experiences. And ladies and gentlemen, that is exciting to me because it's not my story. It's God's story. And that's the exciting part. And God's story is your story, church. Hallelujah. And we can get excited about this is God's story. And it's not Tony Miller's story. And it's not David Webb's story. And it's not Molly's story. And it's not the doctor's story. It is God's story. Amen. And I recognize that this morning as I look at this passage that, that in this verse, really verse 4, 
God is wanting Moses to see this and maybe he's not the one to carry the torch, but he is reminding him, this is my story, Moses. In fact, we look at verse 4 and we read there, he, he says, I have let you see it with your eyes. I have let you, Moses, see it with your own eyes. And so the first thing that we can do, this is our part, we are to realize that something new is about to happen. Amen. The second thing the passage shows us is we're to realize that God's story continues with new leadership. It continues with new leadership. In verse 9, we read, Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. And this was godly wisdom. Note that. This is godly wisdom. And godly wisdom is not savvy business sense. I'm sorry, businessmen. It is not knowledge that we have that lifts us into the next position. It is not savvy business sense that says, okay, I can make all these good decisions. No. Godly wisdom is not savvy business sense. Godly wisdom is not memorized information. Godly wisdom is not, okay, I have all this knowledge. I have all this data and I can share it. And I have a lot in here. But that's not godly wisdom. Because godly wisdom comes from God and it is for the kingdom of God. And when we have godly wisdom, we want what God wants. We don't want what we want because we want what God wants. We think we want what we want, but folks, we don't want what we want. We want what God wants. That's godly wisdom. Amen. And we recognize in this passage, this is what God is bestowing upon Joshua. He's bestowing godly wisdom upon him. And Joshua is not an accident. He was God's man for godly things. And too often we want what we want. And how many times is it going to take us to learn that what we want is probably not the best thing? But wanting what God wants is really the best thing. And I think Joshua, right out of the starting gate, he, could, he, he got this. He, he understood this and he embraced it. And so Joshua was anointed. And the results are obvious as we read the word of God in his anointing. Joshua was anointed. I'm processing my, my call, my memory of that call to Mission Church of the Nazarene. And uh, I, we had not really... Uh, organized, okay, I'm going to preach this message because you're here this Sunday. It didn't happen that way. It just so happens in my sermon planning that this is where I'm at. And, and I want to talk about the call that God has put upon my life here at Mission Church of the Nazarene. The doctor called and, and we began to discuss the church a little bit. And as we were talking about the dynamics of the church, I, I, I just remember feeling just a little bit of an inkling that maybe I needed to respond to the call. In fact, Heidi and I had been pastoring in Florida, Bradenton, Florida, for almost ten years, nine and a half years. And, and during that nine and a half year period, we did not interview uh, for another job, another ministry position, pastoral role, anywhere at all. We'd not gone on any interviews at all. And then the doctor calls, and so there was something in my spirit that is saying that I needed, to, I needed to respond to the call. And so we did that. We came, and we flew into San Diego, uh, California, and we met with the church board. And I want to tell you something, folks. Your church board, they're thorough. <laughs> and I, I don't want I, I to over, over-exaggerate, but I, I think our meeting, how long was our meeting? About five hours? Our meeting was four or five hours long, and, and they spent that entire time just drilling me, and I kind of drilled them and asked questions of them. And, and so we went through that process, and I'm just going to be really transparent this morning. Uh, during that meeting, I didn't feel anything special. 
I didn't feel, okay, here's the weight of the Spirit upon me. Okay, God is moving. I felt absolutely nothing. Maybe because we got up at 4 a.m. that morning. We had flown all day on a jet. We were there, went through a four or five hour long meeting. And so we went to bed, went to sleep, and we felt nothing at all. A couple of the guys on the board called me and said, uh, Pastor, we'd like to take you and your wife out for breakfast. So two of our men that you respect and I respect more and more that I get to know them, they took Heidi and I out to breakfast. And so we went to the Broken Yoke. And uh, fantastic breakfast, by the way. I'm a breakfast guy, if, if you want to know. And so uh, my wife and I sat in the booth there just, just to the right of that, that front door, just to the right, the very first booth on the right. And we sat there, and the two men sat on that side. My wife and I sat be- beside each other. And they began to, you know, uh, share with us their, their vision and their dream for Mission Church of the Nazarene. They shared with us what their, their heart's desire was and what they were looking for and what they were hoping for. And as they began to share that Across the table for the very first time, there was something that leapt into life inside of me. And I began to feel the Holy Spirit working in my heart and moving me. And pretty soon my heart begins to beat fast and my hands began to sweat. And I was feeling something happen inside of me. And I didn't know it at the time, but something like that was happening inside of Heidi. And so we finished our meeting with the two board members and Heidi and I went out to the car and we sat down and as soon as we sat down and closed the doors, something happened that I, I don't know if I've ever felt before. It was like the Holy Spirit had a fist and he took that fist and he punched me right in the stomach. And I'm just telling you, this emotion welled up inside of me and I began to cry. Now, I'm not a crier. I said that before, but I'm telling you about a time I'm crying again. So I, 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 I just started crying and my wife, she started crying and through her crying she says do you feel what I feel I said yes I feel what you feel and we thought maybe the Lord is speaking to us here and we met we met you on Tuesday night and I preached and and then uh, and then I shared as much with the the board members that you know the Lord had moved us deeply well we were on the way to Italy for our 30th wedding anniversary and so we literally left San Diego to fly to Italy for two and a half weeks. And while we were in Italy, my wife and I, we had a wonderful time. By the way, if you've never been there, you've got to go. And we spent time in Rome and Venice and the Amalfi Coast and time sitting around the pool. And as we sat there uh, around the pool and my eyes were closed or were reading, you know, I began to think about Florida. I began to think about the fact that we have a grown son that has a business and he's engaged, getting ready to get married in March. And he's going to stay there in Florida and her family's there. And I was their pastor. I began to think about that my brother had moved to Florida and my brother and his wife is there and he has a business there. I began to think about the congregation that I'd pastored for almost 10 years. And there's a lot of change in your pocket in that situation. And, and the people that loved us. And I began to think about all of that. And by the time I got home two and a half weeks later, I talked myself out of what I had felt that morning, that morning after breakfast. And so I called the DS. I'm just being transparent. And I told the DS that I'm not coming. Now, before you judge me, do not listen fully just to the story, but I want you to hear about the anointed call of God. Because we said we're not coming a gentleman on the board asked the DS if he could call me, if it would be appropriate, you know. So this gentleman on the board, one of you among us here this morning, called me on the phone and we began to talk. And I thought to myself as uh, he had called and left a message and he wanted to speak to me. And I thought, well, I need to be courteous. 
So I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him. You know, and so he called me and we began to talk. And as we began to talk, I began to ask questions. And he asked some diagnostic questions. A very smart man. And we began to dialogue there. And what was happening, we spoke for about three hours. And what was happening, what I did not know, that was late at night in Florida. My wife had gone to bed. She was listening to the conversation on the phone. And I thought she had went to bed, but she was listening. And she said she had this terrible knot in her stomach. And she could not go to sleep because she feels like she felt like that, that we had made the wrong decision. And so the, the next morning... We got up and my wife told me what she was feeling the night before, that she was listening to the conversation. She had a knot in her stomach that, that, that we made the wrong decision. I, I said, well, let's, let's pray. Let's pray tonight after work. And so the next, that evening my wife got off work and I came home from the office and we knelt down by the couch there in the family room on our knees our, our kids or none of the family was around and it was just Heidi and I. And so we knelt there in front of the couch in our family room on tile floor. And I anguished and I prayed and I talked to God and she prayed and she anguished. And I said, God, I need to know. Because to be out of God's will there means I would be out of God's will here. And it would affect so many people, and I needed to know God's answer. And so we prayed through there, and as we finished our prayer, we went to bed, and there was still no clear answer. And so the very next morning, the very next morning, uh, you, you know that, that, that place in time when you're waking up and you're not quite awake, and it's kind of just about three or four seconds maybe, and everything's really foggy still? And in that moment where I'm trying to you know, awake, but I'm not quite awake. In that moment, I, it wasn't audible, but I heard in my head, God say, Tony, I want you to go to San Diego. And then I came awake. And as soon as I came awake, I audibly said aloud, I said, God, okay, I will go to San Diego. And folks, I want to tell you the way the Spirit hit me in the gut with that invisible fist. All of a sudden, it was the Spirit that fell down upon me and, and peace began to flood my soul because the anointing had come and I knew without any doubt that God had called me to San Diego, California, of all places. Amen. 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 And I look at this passage and we see that Joshua was anointed and the results are obvious. And folks, it makes a difference when the calling is real and there is the anointing of God. Amen. So what is our response? And in fact, in this passage, the last thing I see is, is that we are to follow God's anointed and plan. And I'm not lifting up Tony Miller. I am lifting up the text of God. And aside from a moral failure, our responsibility in leadership is that we are, are to be followers of that leadership and obedient to God. In my MO, the way I work, doctor, is if the, the DS has a plan and he has a strategy, he will never know if I ever disagree with him. I might have a conversation, but I will support him because he is the anointed man of God. And I believe God has put him in that position. And I will follow him because why? God has called me to follow him. Amen. And so you see part of the example that we have here is that we are to follow God's anointed and plan. And so I recognize that sometimes, you know, it's, it's natural 
to question. It's natural sometimes to, to challenge if the anointed is among us to challenge and ask questions. I know in time sometimes that happens. But the responsibility that we have as believers, the responsibility is that we, we are willing to come back to the well and that we're willing to be filled by the spirit of a living God that refreshes our soul and our mind. It reminds me of... Uh, it reminds me of the woman at the well when Jesus was traveling through Samaria. The disciples had gone into town and Jesus Christ, he sits down there on the side of the well. And here this woman comes along. She's a Samaritan. And Jesus Christ asks for a drink. How many remember that text? Jesus Christ asks for a drink and she says, you're, you're a Jew and I, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me? How can you ask me for a drink? You don't even have a, a bucket to draw your water. And, and, and Jesus responded to her and he said, if you knew the gift that God had for you and the one who is asking you for a drink, you would not ask for a drink of water, but you'd ask for a drink of living water. You see, Jesus was not concerned with a bucket. He's not concerned the fact they didn't have a bucket with him. You see, I think sometimes we're distracted by the things of the world. I think sometimes, church, we're distracted by our emotions. I think sometimes we're distracted maybe even by our own agenda. Rather than bringing the bucket, that's the metaphor, and allowing that bucket to be filled with the living God, the spirit of a living God. I think sometimes we want to fill the bucket with things that, that we think will satisfy, like maybe pleasure or, or maybe prestige or, or maybe money or, or whatever it is. I think sometimes we want to fill the bucket with that what we think will satisfy. Well, the scripture says it will not satisfy. Only one thing will satisfy, and that is the spirit of the living God, and that is touching the hem of Jesus' garment. That is getting the glimpse of heaven and responding to that living God and allow God to fill our bucket. Amen. And I want to invite you this morning to allow God to fill that bucket with his living water, to allow him to fill that bucket of, of mission, that bucket of hope that you have for Mission Church of the Nazarene. And I believe that God will be faithful in filling that bucket. Amen. Just as he is faithful, we see in the text here when it comes to Joshua, that Joshua anointed him and God filled his bucket and gave him direction. God wants to fill our bucket. He wants to give our, us direction, doctor. And I think we have a right to be excited about that. Amen? That God, His anointing, His direction has been a part of this whole thing that we're experiencing that's called church. And I'm excited about that. I want to invite us to stand as the band comes and they're going to lead us in just kind of a closing course. But I want to invite us to stand and just bow our heads for just a moment and then we're going to begin a receiving the elements Lord's Supper. But I want to invite us to stand for, for prayer for just a moment, and then I'll give you some instruction. Let's bow our heads. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for your touch. I thank you, Father, that you're giving us a, an opportunity today to just get a glimpse of heaven, to realize that, Lord, that sometimes we have to push the world out. We have to push the world back sometimes far enough that we might hear the voice of your spirit whisper on our neck. I, I pray that, Lord Jesus, that we'd hear that voice this morning. 
We'd feel the whisper of, uh, of the Spirit of God and that, Lord, that in that whisper, we say, yes, Lord. In the whisper, we will say, God, yes, I'll be obedient to you. In the whisper, we'll hear that there, are, there is hope and there are plans just as there were for the many that has come before us. There, are, there is hope and there are plans for our future. And Lord Jesus, that includes every one of us that is here this morning. Every man and every woman, every teenager, every child, every worship leader and every instrument player. And for the technicians that are working in the back and those that are working in the children's ministry. For those that are greeting right now, Lord Jesus, the mission, what you're whispering to us right now, Father, that that future and that is, that is hopeful, it, it, it's your plan, it's your mission, it's your story. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be glorified as we simply say back to you, yes, Lord. Yes, Father, I, I will be obedient. Yes, Lord, I will embrace your plan. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you whisper that to the Lord right now, just right there where you're standing? Just quietly in your heart today, would you say, just whisper to the Lord, God, I hear your voice. I feel the whisper of your spirit on my neck. And I'm going to respond to you, God. Not to our speaker, not to the program, but Lord, I'm responding to you, God. And so, God, I'm saying yes right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to our heart. Showing us, Lord, that yes, in transition, when there's huge change, that, Lord, you're right in the midst of all of that, that you're sovereign. So, Father, today we're saying yes. I'm going to respond to your voice. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Let's remain standing.